Corporate to Calm podcast. In 2017, I realized my personal life was completely at odds with my professional life. I am now on a journey to speak with entrepreneurs, community leaders, and beyond to discover what motivated them to make the change, what motivated them to move from corporate to calm. Hey there, you're very welcome to today's episode of Corporate to Calm. I'm speaking with Joanna Fortune. Joanna is a psychotherapist, an author, a media personality. She has written the 15-minute parenting series of books as well as hosting her own podcast of the same name. I'm really looking forward to hearing Joanna's journey from corporate to calm. Hi, Joanna. How are you? Great, Linda. Good to talk to you. Um, so tell me about you and tell me a little bit about Solove. Um, go for it. So, yeah, so it's hard to believe now that Solove is, oh my goodness, it could be 12 years ago now that I, I like, honestly, I feel like it's only a couple of years ago, but it's, it feels now that um, when I think back to the whole piece about Solove, what I wanted to do was create a clinic. I'm a psychotherapist. So first and foremost, that's what I wanted to do was have a psychotherapy private practice, but I wanted to make it quite specific and quite specialized. So w- over the thrust of my work, you know, I, I'm an adult psychotherapist. I've also trained in child and adolescent work. I'm an attachment specialist, trauma specialist. So I have areas of clinical specialization, but what came through all of that work was the theme of relationship and particularly the parent-child relationship. I mean, no matter how old we are, we still carry that parent-child relationship within us and around us and everything else. So Sulav, which is the Irish word for wisdom, and really in the context of wisdom existing between people, not in and of yourself, but between people, was the whole premise for the parent-child relationship clinic. And that's what I was really trying to set up and create was this hub, this clinical hub that would bring the parent-child relationship into the space, into the room, with a view to finding creative, playful, therapeutic ways to strengthen and enhance your relationship with your parent, your relationship with your child, no matter how old you are. And so that was really the whole point of what what I was doing. But yeah, it started with, look, I'm a psychotherapist. This is what I do. Um, And it really grew from there and expanded. I, you know, it's, it became within a few years, not just a clinical Mm -hmm. practice, but also, you know, I was providing supervision to other therapists in training or other therapists or mental health professionals, you know, not just therapists, but in, in their work. And then I was also honing and developing uh, my platform as a trainer, mm-hmm. especially within specialist therapeutic modalities that I was um, qualified to train in. So I was trying to, you know, you know yourself, like developing any business, you can't really afford to put all of your eggs in the one basket. And it becomes very quickly apparent that, OK, this will serve me better if I have multiple strands of work yes. so that if I have to pull back on one for whatever reason, I have the others that I can then push forward. So the business will stay alive around that. So that actually, I hadn't considered that going into the practice initially, but very quickly that emerged as a need in in the business. And tell me about life before Salaf. Um, Tell me about like your, your, your career before that. My career before Salaf was spent in the NGO sector. So I worked in many charities. I was working in areas of 
you know, children's rights, child protection. Um, I worked with the ISPCC for years, developing their children's consultation unit, which was around Article 12 of the UN Convention on the Rights of the Child, that children should have a voice in matters that affect them and are about them. And, you know, one of my, my big takeouts from that job was that we were involved, very actively involved in recruiting and training the children who would ultimately recruit and hire Ireland's first ombudsman for children. Children. So that was really exciting project to be a part of. And after that, I worked in other areas like I worked in child sexual abuse. I worked in domestic violence. Um, I worked in orphanages overseas, uh, specifically in Russia. Wow. So, you know, I've I've worked in a lot of those kind of frontline trauma areas, but in yes. different guises, you know, sometimes as a clinician, sometimes in a management role, sometimes in program development and looking at programs of deinstitutionalization, psychological resilience, always looking at how can I merge all of the strands of what mm-hmm. I do into whatever role I'm holding. And that was my career. You know, that's what I spent my career doing. And then the Celtic Tiger bust occurred you know we had the crash and I decided it was in that moment of the economy falling apart that now's the time now is the time to go out on my own and start a business as good as any as good as any sure what could possibly go wrong when there is nothing out there um but actually you know when I think back a large part of that was I also could see in my role with the charity I was working with at the time that financially sustaining my role was going to be very difficult for them so I was writing a strategy for how could that charity function without me in the okay. role without the role not just without me but yes. without the role you, you're right, writing yourself out of a job literally writing myself <laughs> out of a job and going and thinking of course you see this is when you work in charities this is the mindset you have is ultimately aren't we supposed to exist to do ourselves out of jobs when you work in charity that the issue that you're working for should be yes. resolved and therefore yes. won't. so I was just you know taking a lead in that going, I really need to be defunct here because they can't afford this role. And you could see that donations to charities were just like plummeting. Yeah. And people just didn't have it yeah. to give. So, you know, we were looking at pe- what people did have and Irish people are so giving. Yes. I really think as a country, we are very giving and generous, generally speaking, that people were contacting us because people had lost jobs and they had time to give. Okay. Money. So looking at if you take my role out of the equation and you pull in people's generous offers of time, can the organization survive without the overhead mm-hmm. of the staff cost? So looking at things like that, and it did, and the charity has is fine. And it was the right call. I do stand over that. It yeah. wasn't it wasn't maybe the most sensible call at the time, but it was the right call to make. So then I was, you know sitting there twiddling my thumbs, but not really, because once I'd made the decision percolating in the back of my mind, and it was always this thing that ultimately I want to work for myself. I want to create something and I want to be deciding how I work and when and what and all of that. And the parent-child relationship clinic was was always there. I, I knew there was a need for it. Um, I don't know that I thought the time was when everybody was in crisis, but ironically, that is the time for a business yes. like mine, yes. um, because actually it's when people do need that extra time and input into relationship and relationships are under pressure because, you know, when money is scarce, when there's a lot of external pressures, that's where we play those themes out. And again, I've seen that over the pandemic period that the demand for mental health services has actually gone through the roof. Yeah. So, you know, it, looking at that now saying that 
I did start a business and thinking, you know, I love the name of your podcast, Corporate to Calm, but I got to tell you, it didn't feel calm <laughs> for the first couple of years. The first couple of years felt anything but calm and filled with those moments of what did I do? What was I thinking? Because I think when you start a business, the first couple of years, your job is just to stay in business. Yeah. You're just trying to stay open because there's overheads and there's, you're trying to establish yourself, get visibility for people to know you're there and yes. they know what you do and then know how to get to you. So you're all the time working on that stuff, which is taking up a lot of time, but it's unpaid time. Yeah. So you're working, but you're not earning while you're doing all the promotion. And ultimately it, it works out. But for a couple of years, yeah, it was tough. Um, I'm going to positively reframe that and say it was exciting. Um, it was edgy. Um, <laughs> what, challenging. What, what did you do to promote yourself in those? Because, I mean, that wouldn't be your background, I suppose. No. So, yeah. And, you know, one of the things along my career, because I was also in the charity sector working in management and, uh, you know, senior management director, CEO roles, I had taken I had the opportunity and I took a diploma in business management. Okay. And I it was to date something that I really, really am so glad that I have because my training was very heavy on the clinical, psychological the brain science of everything and actually running a business you need that business acumen mm. you need that knowledge so that was really helpful to me I will be honest but my background you're absolutely right was in nothing like marketing or PR I wouldn't have had a clue not a notion of it but what I decided I would do is start saying yes to invitations to speak at things okay even when okay. I was like oh my goodness should I do this and oh am I skilled okay. enough you know the imposter syndrome that so many of us kind of go yes. Oh, yes but actually saying to myself just say yes just say yes just say yes and that is really what helped me amplify what I was doing was putting myself out there and accepting invitations to speak and that could be to speak at community centers mm -hmm. at parent AGMs and schools at corporate events at you know um, charity events charity lunches but also Linda to then start taking those opportunities to speak on radio Yes, media, when a journalist wants a quote for an article saying, yes, yes, I will give you that. Yes, I will speak to you. That really helped. Now, in saying that, I did make mistakes along the way. I remember doing, do you know, one of those um, big, huge events, like in somewhere like the RDS. Yeah. And they have the goodie bags and they pitch to loads of people going, do you want to put leaflets in the goodie bags? And you pay to do that. Yeah. And then you realize what an absolute waste of money, because I should have known as someone who does this with goodie bags, I take out the stuff and I bin the papers. Yes. Like what, you know, and I spent, you know, significant money at an early stage of the business when every penny counts, putting leaflets into bags that generated nothing. Yeah. Like, yeah. Nothing at all. Whereas doing something like a mail out to GP practices in my area did generate yes. something. And you make mistakes to learn yeah. what does work. And generally what brought me business was stuff that didn't cost me money. It was speaking at events. It was speaking um, in the media. That's what brought business. That That's mad, isn't it? It's great, though, isn't it? And it's a learning curve. Oh, it always is. Always. Yeah. Tell me about um being a psychotherapist did you always want to help other people 
Yeah, it's interesting because I I remember when I was 16 years old, so transition year in school, I was in, um, I love old bookshops, always did. And I picked up a copy, I still have it, a battered early edition of Freud's yeah. introductory lectures. And I remember buying it and reading it and not understanding a word, like not a word, didn't get any of it, but something <laughs> in it intrigued me. And I was like, you know, I don't want to sound precocious, like I was reading Freud at 16. I was not, okay? Um, I was reading a oh, lot. Of oh, okay, disclaimer here. I went to school with Joanna. She she was not reading Freud at 16. I was not I reading Freud at 16. But, I was, but also, I, something in it, I remember in that moment going, I would like to understand this. Yes. I would yes. like to know about this. And honestly, that was my mindset through my whole undergraduate degree, Linda, was I really want to understand this. I don't, but I really want to. Um, because that's a part of it, because my, I, you know, at, at that age, I really liked writing as well. Um, I liked writing essays in particular. Yeah. I liked writing articles. Um, I always liked that aspect of school. Um, I don't know that I was especially good at it, but I liked it is the point. Um, and I actually thought I could maybe blend those two things. I, I remember you were, you were good at it. You were good at it. I did the debating in school and writing speeches and writing arguments for stuff. I remember yes. that with Miss Dunn. She was fantastic. So encouraging. I always think we need oh, amazing. We all need a teacher who sees something in us and can encourage it. And I was really lucky to have one in primary and secondary school. But she she I remember her just saying, just just write it, just say it, yeah. just think about how you feel and then put it into words. And I loved that. So I did actually think for a long time I would like to do journalism. Yes. And so and I, ultimately I went down the psychotherapy route. I did an undergraduate degree in psychoanalysis. So I did carry the old Freud battered introductory lectures and eventually gain understanding of it. Um, <laughs> but, you know, that was about perseverance. But as I've kind of honed my career and developed it into my own practice, I have found ways to merge the writing with the psychotherapy in writing about the psychotherapy, both writing articles for newspapers, speaking about um, answering questions mm -hmm. through that lens on radio and making yourself very accessible and understandable and writing books, you know, so I feel I didn't let go of that journalism buzz that yes. I had. I did find a way of blending the two, um, but that takes that takes your you know journey to get there. And it's interesting because you talk about um, your your books and then um, it's a case of writing to different people as well yeah. so you have your clinical writing but then having your writing to the general masses that's that's a really good point you're absolutely right they're very different yeah. um, ways of writing very different tones I actually find speaking to non-therapist people like you know the general public writing for general audiences I find that easier yes. um, because actually when I have to put my academic writing hat on and write to be published in a journal or something like that that's when I get my uh-oh feelings that's when the old imposter syndrome taps me on Isn't the that funny? do you know what you're talking about that never comes into my head when I'm in my comfort zone of yes. speaking comfortably about things I really feel I know about this but as soon as I, it's the same topic and theme, but it's a language shift. I begin to doubt myself then. But I do it because I do think when when we meet a doubt, a self-doubt, part of the job in mastering that tension is to say, I'm going to push through this. I'm going to master this. And tell me about being an author then. How did that come about? 
So that was really, <laughs> that's another one of those, what was she thinking moments. So much of what I do is like framed with that. But I was on maternity leave. And, of all things, of all things. <laughs> and, you know, she look, when my, when my little one was seven weeks old, I delivered a TEDx talk. Okay. I hardly remember doing it, Linda. Like, honestly, I was in the throes of cluster feeding, postpartum. You know, the first time I really had a sense of what I said on that stage was when it was live on YouTube. Like, oh, oh, okay. That's what I said. Oh, it's okay. I got away with that because I just was, what, again, what was I thinking? But it's one of those that I was invited to do it. And I thought, sure, sure. What else would I be doing with a seven week old? The YES again. Standing there in my maternity jeans, like so funny when I look back on it. But, um, but I don't, again, I don't regret it. It was a bit crazy, but I don't regret it. Um, but after that, and doing that talk, I kind of had ignited in myself. And I do find that women are, again, generally speaking, we're really creative. Yes. And I think we're masters at doing a lot with a little time, because largely speaking, we have to when you've a newborn baby and, mm -hmm. you know, all of that. And, you know, I had a newborn baby that was from the get go, a voracious feeder. So I just felt like that's what I did. I sat yeah. and I fed all day, every day. And my brain is, I have a busy brain and I felt I wanted another outlet. But in that space, stuff that had been needling away for a long time, oh, but in my practice was so busy that it was always about finding the space and time to nurture those ideas. But little, those little niggles began to interweave into a narrative. And I started to do some spider diagramming, you know, just on pages going, yeah. if, if I was to write a book. What would I put in there? Yeah. And that then nurtured into very quickly, a, basically a proposal. And I just sent an email, cold email to really? an editor, senior editor in a publishing house in Ireland. And I, I actually <laughs> put in the title. This is the only parenting book you'll ever have to read. Really? And I said, hi. So. I'm, I have this book I want to write. Now, in hindsight, what I pitched was like the war and peace of parenting. It was like this like tome. And I do remember her helpfully coming back. She came back straight away going, I want to know more. But, you know, always if you're if you're listening and you're thinking of writing a book, have a chapter or two pre-written because an, an interested editor's immediate response is send me a chapter and I'm going, I have a spider diagram. Is that oh. any good for you? You know, um, but quickly, I have a couple of words, <laughs> I have an idea. Um, so I actually, you know, did put a chapter or two together very quickly around that. But she quite rightly pointed out, oh, this is an overwhelming book. Like there's okay. too much. This isn't a book. This could okay. be many books. So we looked at honing it down into the early years. And I this was all done on maternity leave. So I wrote that book while on maternity leave in 2017. It was published in 2018. And after that, I got a second publishing deal with a UK publisher this time who had seen 15 Minute Parenting, the yeah. first book, and wanted to publish it. I had the UK rights and the international rights to the book, wanted to publish it in the UK and internationally, but also wanted to spread that out into other books, wanted a three book series. So we rebranded. The first book is still the first book, you know, yeah. there's small changes, but not much. And it's a different cover to align with the others in the book. And in 2018, 2019, 2019, I was writing the other two books that were published in 2020. So basically, the three book series hit the UK and international field during the pandemic. I know. So it's been a really busy couple of years of constant deadlines. You know, that good job I thought I wanted to write a book or be a writer because 
you know, I definitely hadn't envisaged writing three books in two years. You know, it's a lot. It's a lot. It is a lot. It is a lot. What, what, something that really it stuck out to me there when you were talking was the editor saying that it's overwhelming. And how, what good advice that was because such good advice. People don't want theory. I've been investigating a lot of projects myself. They want to be told what to do. And it's really about creating shared understanding. Yeah. And I think that's what, what she was saying was I had, you know, this initial book that was going to take you from pregnancy right up to young adulthood. Okay. And it, I mean, literally, it would have been like a doorstop of a book to put all that in. And quite rightly, and being a parent as well as a professional and switching to my parent hat, is that a book I would pick up from a shelf? No, okay. because immediately I go, I have no time to read yes. that. There's too yes. much in that. So actually really honing in and thinking as a parent, what do I want to know right now is the developmental stage my child is at now. Okay. Yes. And I want to know everything about that. So doing a three book series enabled me to do zero to seven years fully. Yeah. And then eight to 12 years, the most under discussed stage of childhood development. Really? childhood often we talk about the early years we then talk about the tricky teenage years and we short circuit or catapult over middle childhood and I really wanted a book dedicated to eight to 12 year olds because so much development happens there that is the groundwork for what comes in the teenage years and then the teenage years book so and again for me I wanted all of those books to be written around the concept of play because I am very passionate yes. about play in our lives all of our lives I don't care if you're 8 months old or 88 years old you have a need to play and about trying to take what is therapeutic for sure but that you don't need to be a therapist to do it yes. and to translate that into accessible playful activities and language that parents can pick up and say, hey, I can do that. Mm -hmm. And to be right, you can do it. The whole point of the books is to bridge the gap between the psychotherapy clinic and the family home, because Mm -hmm. not everybody needs a therapist. That's true. Yeah. You know, absolutely not. And sometimes a small change can make a big difference mm-hmm. in our relationships. And that's what I'm really about. It's why it's 15 minute parenting. I mean, yeah. I wish Linda I'd cracked that you could parent in 15 minutes a day. I could retire, never work another day in my life. But it's really fizzling out and safeguarding a window every single day that you are 100% mindfully available to play in your child's world, in their language, mm-hmm. connect with them in the now, create those opportunities for shared joy and those moments of meeting, you know, when you're truly connected and that nothing will intrude on that window of time. And by practicing that, and I do think, and you know this in your work, making something a daily practice is actually how it becomes effortless. It just Mm -hmm. becomes a part of what you do. And that's really what I wanted to share through the books. And so we talked about you took a punt and sent yeah. a cold email and um, it seems that like you need a, a chapter or two to follow up that cold email and um, that constructive criticism to be able to take constructive criticism. Mm-hmm. Is there anything else that if somebody was going to delve into that world that you would say to have ready before they, they, they send that email or they... I would say refine your message. Like, why do you want to write this book? 
Okay, why? It's like, why do you want to start this podcast? Why do you like, what is your motivation? Mm -hmm. And be really honest with yourself. Like if your motivation is I want to put my name out there and be known, then that's going to frame what you do. Okay. If it is, I want to take the thrust of my 20 years clinical work, I want to translate it into something that people can pick up on a shelf and put into practice in their parenting at home, then that's also going to drive how you write and Mm. what you include, but what you don't, what you edit out. I have such respect for editors because I am brutal at it. I'll write 100,000 words, no problem. But when someone says, great, we need it to be 70, I will sweat tears to cut words out. So people who can say, actually, you could say that in a more refined way. That has been a real lesson for me is say, think about and especially what I do, I, I approached it then with, okay, Joanna, imagine you were saying this to a child. You would focus on saying it in 10 words or less because okay. otherwise they're thinking about something else. And yeah. then you say those all important words, are you listening to me? And they go, yes, yes, because every child knows the answer to that question is yes. So I was like, am I overstating this? Mm-hmm. Could I say it just as well, but more succinctly? Yeah. That was a real lesson for me. And to really work on your two chapters that you have, have an introductory chapter and then have a chapter that you feel really passionate about because that's going to be your finest writing. Okay. And then the rest of it will come, but just be clear. What do I want to say and who do I want to say it to? Why is it important? And if you can answer those three questions, you've got the basis of what you need to do. Brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. Um, so from that, you have, so we have um, Solove, we have 15 minute parenting set of books. Now there's a podcast, there's spotlights on variety of um, TV shows and radio. Do you like being in the media spotlight? Oh, that um, I don't. Oh, my goodness. I don't know that I would ever think about myself in the media spotlight because I, yeah. I actually always think that I'm just talking about what I do I'm just talking Mm -hmm. about what I know like when you say media spotlight I think of someone who who is out there talking about whatever and is like a celebrity or something yeah but I say to people like do you know Joanna Fortune and I'm like yeah and people oh oh and you're like a little celeb and some people I would never think (laughs) of that at all because I just think that someone asks me a question about about what I do. Like it's no, this is what I do. So if someone asks me a question and I know the answer, I'm going to tell you the answer. And I think, you know, the weekly radio show that I do on News Talk, the parenting slot, that's a Q&A. Like people take the time to write in quite like so many questions. I wish wish we could do much more. You know, we do our best to get through everybody's questions, but there are so many. And some of them are so sad and so. Oh, there's so much going on in people's lives. Like there really are. And I I really respect that somebody has taken the time to Mm -hmm. send that email, to put that in writing and say, I need help. I need an answer here. So I like to really think about that and go, if you were in front of me, what would I say to you? Mm-hmm. And so that's all I'm thinking about, Linda, when I'm on air. I'm not thinking about who's listening. I think about that parent yeah. who's written that question and I'm speaking to them. And there, I'll always add in, look, if someone else is listening and that resonates, what might be a helpful nugget that they could also take away? So put in something more general as well. But that's really it. Like I never say yes to anything in the media that is outside of my expertise or knowledge base. Like, like I like being a panelist or something like that. Like like, if, no. if it's a panel show where they're going to be asking me about what I know and what I do, mm-hmm. sure. If it's like 
shoot the breeze or we're going to be talking about, I don't know, like something that is like not my field. And I would have to do a lot of research or really then I'm going to say, you know, there's somebody else out there who knows a lot more about that than me. And you should ask. And one of the things actually that I going back that I did get involved in very early was a media network group called Women on Air. Okay. And they maintain a database. And I would encourage any woman um, with an expertise in a field who would be happy to speak um, about that in the media to register with Women on Air. You you just fill out your details, what you specialize in. And radio producers, TV producers will go to that list and look for somebody Fantastic. So I would always say in that case, oh, no, that's way out of my comfort zone. That's not what I know about. But guess what? You could go to Women on Air. You can find another woman who does know a lot about that. And, you know, say yes when you're asked. Say yes, because so many others will say yes without knowing what you know. Yes. Go forward. And uh, yeah, but that's my big thing, Linda. Like I I'm comfortable in what I do in the media because it is within my comfort zone. It is what I know about. That women on air, that's amazing. That's a great bit of advice and fair. Oh, I would say every woman who is working for yourself in business and is like, I wouldn't mind putting myself out there or I could certainly challenge myself, register. Fantastic. Um, tell me about online therapy and running your business online over the past 18 months. I don't actually know if you did that previously. Um, yeah, so I, so we would call it telehealth therapy. Telehealth, okay. Telehealth therapy. It's always existed, but our, you know, certainly in my field, and I'll own this myself as well, my preference would be to be in a room with somebody because there's so much that does not get transferred through the lens of a computer or a phone. Mm -hmm. I'm also only seeing your shoulders, your neck, your head. And there's so much that our bodies say you know, we're embodied people are that link between body and mind. Again, you know this more than I do mm-hmm. in your work that when you're frazzled up here, you're frazzled down here and vice versa. So that that kind of whole embodiment piece can get lost online. Now, that being said, that adapting and changing and evolving in our work is what keeps us relevant and current and what that was never more important than in this last 18 months. So very mindful that people who went into the pandemic carrying an emotional vulnerability, a psychological vulnerability, maybe already in therapy, at least initially had an abrupt loss of that formal support. You know, merged with a loss of our informal supports, you know, our social life, our work life, if we're kids, our school, our extracurricular activities, those informal supports that really matter, that, you know, they do provide structure in our day to day lives. And people were suspended in a state of what now? Yeah. What do I do now with all of this? At a time when the context for anxiety was already there because the Mm -hmm. pandemic by its nature and definition is anxiety provoking. So in our field, we very quickly were working together, talking to each other. How are we going to do this? I always used Zoom in my work because I supervise therapists internationally in a particular model. Okay, so I've been using Zoom probably for 10 years. Wow, amazing. Yeah. And, you know, I always found it's a great way of doing supervision. I've also done some case consultation, you know, where somebody has a very complex situation and they want an outside clinician to review and come in and give a clinical opinion. So I was doing that. And also I had a small cohort of clients, one of whom maybe can't leave their house for a variety of reasons. 
that telehealth work was always a part of how we worked. Um, a number of young people who maybe are out of country based, but wanted an Irish therapist in their lives, um, that I was doing some work like that. So I was already doing some work on Zoom. For me, I didn't find the transition huge. I will say I did not start any new clients on Zoom. These were clients I already had a pre-existing mm -hmm. relationship with and was very mindful that this was a supplementary support to their therapy and that actually as soon as we could get back in person, we would. Now, mental health practitioners were prioritized with vaccine for that reason, yes. because the need for services went through the roof. Yeah. Um, the, I mean, the demand at the moment is overwhelming wow. and I'm in private practice. So if private practice is overwhelmed, I can only imagine yes. what the public system is facing. So very mindful that people are in crisis, are struggling and that the, the demand is is not with the supply they're not yeah. aligned at the moment so delighted to be able to get back in person i do parent consultations online as well because it means a parent from anywhere in the country or the uk or across europe that i can speak with them and i do those because they're one off or maybe two or three sessions with a parent online and i'm really looking at therapeutic parenting mm -hmm. and looking at how can we affect change in your relationship with your child but going through you to do that so that piece of my work has always been online the big challenge was moving my group consultations because I'm an external consultant for a number of residential care organizations for teenagers. And I wanted to move that work online because their work was continuing and yes. was actually intensifying and the stress and strain. And I really wanted to do that. So took a, to use your language, took a punt on that as well, Linda, and said, let's move it online and see how it goes. And it's gone really well. Right. The only thing I'd say is, and I'm not alone in this, I'm sure the, the intensity of Zoom and having that Zoom fatigue, like yes. going in my practice, like as I said, I always used it, but maybe doing two hours a day on Zoom to doing entire training courses, yeah. to doing entire consultations, maybe six hours online and really feeling the need for self-care. The lack of mobility in my mm -hmm. work, you know, I never thought I would say I miss traffic, but I miss yeah. the podcast in the car or the talk radio and the cup of coffee and the space to kind of think about what I'm heading into and debrief what I'm coming out of in the car. And just those pieces of my day, the the actual being with people, yeah. you know, I, I enjoy being with people. That's something I get a lot of energy from yeah. really kind of allowing myself to feel the loss of those things so that I could put proper adequate therapeutic self-care mechanisms in place and mm -hmm. not just say, well, sure, look at this is the way it is, but saying, yes, this is the way it is. Now, how will I manage the way it is for as long as it is this way? Because yeah. I know we all thought this will be a novel six weeks to kind of get back to basics and recharge, get some perspective on our lives. Yeah. And 18 months later, we're still here. So the novelty has worn off. But I really think we all need adequate self-care mechanisms for for managing how we've had to adapt to online work but the impact of that adaptation on our lives and it's a case of um you are back face to face but is there elements of your business that will just remain online i no. think there are yeah. you know i've been doing some hybrid delivery of a, like a four-day training program i deliver quite regularly moving two of those days into four half days online because oh, okay. people really aren't with you for a full day online and then two days in person and actually that has proved quite successful yeah. so and other aspects of consultation work that will stay online some of mine was always online and that will continue so really looking at 
you know, supervision work, some training work, not all, but some, and some consultation staying online. I think that's great, you know, because it enables people from all over the country not to have to travel, to pay for accommodation. It improves accessibility for some of the talks I do for corporates as well. You know that they've managed to get people from all over to come to mm-hmm. a talk as opposed to the people who are physically on site in that hour that I'm there. Yeah. So that's all been really good learning. And I do think we'll take and extract the good from this as well. But I will return to in-person work where possible because it's different it is different and so moving on from that with the the fact that um we have all been online so much do you switch off and what advice can you give for people to switch off because the phone is at hand zoom is at hand you're a little bit more accessible online than face to face so how, how do you deal with that Um, I think we've really got to, I don't like using that word balance because I think it puts a lot of pressure on us, but it's, it's about being, you know, if you look at it like a spectrum instead, and on one end, you've got completely frazzled burnout. And on the other end, you've got totally at my mental health best, look at the midpoint and always hope that you're leaning more towards mental best than the frazzled Mm -hmm. and think of it more like a pendulum than absolute balance. Because if I'm leaning more towards my mental health best, then I'm doing things that keep me moving that direction. So for me, when I come off a long day of screen, it can be tempting to then switch on an iPad or a Netflix and start watching something. But actually, it's just more screen and the fatigue and the impact on my sleep, I notice is and if my sleep is disrupted, everything is disrupted for me because I'm a person who really needs sleep. I know we all do, but I don't do well at all without it. So I would like to get outside. I think to reset a busy brain, the best thing you can do is change the field of vision Mm -hmm. and to change the field of vision very quickly in the moment, wherever anyone's listening now is to turn and look out a window because you're immediately changing what you're looking at. You're not staring at your screen or your to-do list or whatever it is, or your phone, you're looking at a window and find a name, five things that you can see, four things you can hear, three things you could touch, two things you could smell, one thing you could taste, you know, and you're doing your senses. You're doing a five, four, three, two, one, changing the field of vision. You will reset your busy brain. And these are quick activities that you can do in one minute. I also like to just stand up and do the clam cuddle you know I I like the kind of playful language of these things so if you put opposite hand on opposite shoulder and squeeze yourself as tight as you can counting slowly five four three two one and then totally release and repeat that it's like giving yourself a hug but you get that proprioceptive input where you send a message through touch from your skin to your brain you're okay, you're safe, you're contained. And it's a really good grounding. Mm -hmm. And again, like doing things that are quite silly, but sure, look at we all need to be a little bit more silly in our lives. I really believe that too. But a puffer fish puff, like puff out your cheeks as big as you can, like puff them out. And then let out that air, you know, so you like doing pop cheeks with a child, but you're doing it to yourself. (laughs) But when you do that, what you do is I I know I know no one can see me and I'm actually doing this as I'm talking to you, but you can follow it in your your hearing and do it. (laughs) But when you do the puff cheeks thing, you force a release in your jaw. And so much of us hold our tension in our jaw, that clenched jaw, that tightening around your mouth, that if you do the puff cheeks, it's forcing that release. So doing really practical and yes. also getting a bit silly means yeah. you're engaging your playful self. And whenever we feel stuck in ourselves, in our lives, 
it's a sign that we have forgotten how to play and we've forgotten to play. So doing something playful immediately, whatever that is in your life, you know, and I always believe in moving as well because rhythm and synchrony will trigger the subsystems of the brain associated with emotional regulation. I mean, I'll take anything and I will like science it out on you. I will kill that joy for you. Put on some music, in other words, and dance. Yeah. Dance like nobody's looking because they're not. Yeah. Just dance. And that movement, that rhythm, and everyone has a theme tune. You know that one song that you put it on, you got to dance. You could be in the car, you could be waiting for your coffee, whatever it is. So whatever your theme tune is, play that song. And I like on Spotify to have your angry playlist, your sad playlist, whatever emotion, your happy, excited one. And go there because if you're moving, you're dancing, you're taking a lot of tension out of your body. You're resetting that brain and you're triggering emotional regulation. So keep simple and keep it playful. Remember to play. I mean, I don't know, Linda, at the beginning of all this, when everybody was growing sourdough starter and making banana bread for 26 different ways. I mean, if that's not playing, I don't know what is. So something in us knows that we have that need to play. And tell me about delegation. (laughs) No, you tell me about delegation. I I, (laughs) love it, love it, love it. I would struggle with delegation. Um, I, I know I know you like to delegate. Tell me all about it. I like to do it, but I had to really learn that, Linda. Like initially, I have that tendency mm-hmm. to go to, oh, it'll be easier if I do it myself. I'll, it'll be easier if yes. I just do it. Yes. And all that happens is it's not. It's not that it's easier to do it yourself. It's that you're avoiding handing over that control and entrusting a task to somebody else. So that was something I had to really develop a competence with. And it's an ongoing thing. But I do delegate life tasks for sure. You Mm -hmm. are right. I, I would look at what can I outsource in my life in terms of, you know, I don't know, whatever can be there. If someone says to me, can I help you? I'll say yes, yes. give them a specific job. Yes. And I think we all have to get better at that. And I think, have I remember on maternity leave, that was something I learned really quickly was when someone says, do you need a hand? They're being genuine. They're yes. saying, I'm available to help you. And too often out of politeness, we say, no, 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 you're grand. I'm fine. When actually you could say, actually, if you could drop a loaf of bread and a pint of milk at my door, that would be really helpful. Actually, pop over and stick a load into the washing machine for me or hold the baby while I empty the washing machine. That would be really helpful. So I kind of looked at that and went, why do we find it so hard to say I need help and then to accept the help from people who are genuinely offering it? So that has been a big journey for me but I think I think I'm much better at I'm sure there's lots of people listening to me going she's nailed it she can delegate till the cows come home (laughs) I still think that when we all have this tendency when we're out of our comfort zone when we're under pressure a bit stressed that we'll either go to an arousal level that is about mobilization and activation you know do it do it do it yes we'll be the person that gets the weighted blanket and the blackout blinds and retreats from the world nothing wrong with either of those they're different ways of coping I know I'm somebody that the more stressed I am, the more I take on. Yes. As evidenced by having a baby and writing books and doing TED Talks. <laughs> you know, I'm like, sure, I can do that, you know. And actually, it's a way of me trying to manage stress. By I won't think about the thing that's stressing yes. me. I'll keep myself really busy. That, again, is something that comes into that delegation piece because a part yeah. of you is 
you got to stop and you got to slow down. That if you're someone who moves, moves, moves as a way of managing stress, you need a little bit of the weighted blanket, the sitting on the sofa, the chilling out. And if you're someone who retreats very quickly under the blanket and the blackout blinds, you need a little bit of mobilization to help get you back into that synchronous place Mm -hmm. again. So that has all been a part of working for yourself, I think, is a challenge with that, Linda. Like, I love that idea of corporate to come, and I believe I am there, but there's been a lot of dysregulation along yeah. the way to get there. Yeah. At leaving a corporate environment, which has its own frenetic pace and demands, and establishing something that is of you, for you, about you, is the definition of moving to a place of calm in your life. But it doesn't mean that it's linear. I don't. Yeah. I think along the way, there's a lot of pressure, stress, frenetic pacing and getting it right and getting it wrong and allowing yourself get it wrong so that you can get it more right the next time. That's been yeah. a trajectory that I've danced my way along. You know, sometimes I'm in sync with it and sometimes I'm out of sync. And a lot of the time it's that active process of getting back into sync that has allowed me to learn and to do it better as I've gone along. And as I said, like I'm, a, I'm 12 years working for myself now. I wouldn't change it. Yeah. That's the one thing. Highs and lows, I wouldn't change it. But looking back at that, um, if you were a new business owner, having advice from a, somebody who owns a business for 12 years, what would you say to get better at quicker? Is there anything... I think, you know, narrow down your focus of what you're going to do. You can expand it as you establish yourself, but start by saying, this is what I do and I do it really well Mm -hmm. and grow your audience, your market in that area. And then once you have that as a hub, because that's going to sustain you, that's going to pay your bills, that's going to pay your overheads, then look at now I'm going to expand. And in that expansion, I'm establishing myself as having a voice in another related but slightly different area. Mm -hmm. And you're going to grow your audience, your customer base there. And I think taking it step by step. um, I think the way I did it in hindsight, I could have gradually started a private practice instead of going from full-time work to now I'm full-time for myself. And I felt like I was playing catch-up. So I, and I would advise people, you know, especially in my field, psychologists, psychotherapists who are going out on their own to gradually build up your practice before you're full-time at it. And and also reach out to people who are doing it. You know, I have referred lots of people onwards to people I know are establishing themselves, whose practice I trust, whose, you know, skills I know and I subscribe to and say, yes, that's very much aligned with how I work, that I'm happy to refer people to. But let other professionals in your field know that you're there, because I think sometimes we have a fear of oh, people will see me as their competition. But that isn't what certainly I'll own it. That's not how I view it. I just think it's great that more people are out there doing this. And I want to support other people who are starting out. And I was lucky enough to come across a few people like that along my way. And I feel that now it's in my it's in my person to gift that forward to other people and say, sure, let me talk to you. I'll have a coffee with anyone and say you're starting out coffee people. I remember actually somebody involved in the Women on Air Network once said to me, have you got your coffee list? And I was like, my what? And it was such good advice because what it was starting out was 
I, I had a lot of days that I didn't have work booked in, but I could put those days to work by coffeeing people, asking people for a coffee. Will you have a cup of coffee with me? Will you meet me for a coffee? And to do that saying, hey, yeah. I'm starting out. This is what I'm doing. Can I learn from you? I'm just letting you know what I'm doing. And create because that person then will go back to their work and hear something and say, oh, you know who's doing that? Joanna Fortune is doing mm. that. Let me give you her details. So coffee, have a coffee list and use it. Don't let any of your work days, your assigned work days be unstructured reach out and develop even people you don't know well will yeah. meet you for a cup of coffee so yeah. ask people to meet you for coffee love it love it um projects in the pipeline is there anything going on that you can talk about that you not talk about oh there's always stuff going on so <laughs> excuse me there's i mean i'm always percolating something so i did use the uh, <laughs> pandemic while moving my business online to undertake a doctorate sure why not and so that's kind of, you know, been a very particular piece of work that I've intensely been working on. And that's coming to final stages. Um, I mean, there's always a bit to go with a doctorate. I don't know. Do you ever feel done with that? But so that's been something I'm working on and also beginning the process of a fourth book, um, you know, so which I said, as I said to you, I believe I will not do another book, three <laughs> books and I'm done. And here I am. Uh, uh, last fourth book. <laughs> June, people, last June, one year to a fourth book. <laughs> and here I am saying it. And I'm also looking at ways of refining the podcast. So my own 15-minute parenting yes. podcast are just 15-minute little episodes. I tend to take common parenting questions or themes. I can't answer parenting questions on social media. I know people send them, and I get yes. why, and I really do. And I'm not offended by it or anything it's, like that. So I, I don't want anyone feeling too, badly. It's too generic for you. Isn't I just can't it? give yeah. advice like yeah. that on a platform like yeah. that. But I can take the themes that are coming in, and I do address them as best I can on the podcast. But I'm also looking at ways of refining that podcast and looking at maybe some special episodes that would be longer, involve other people. So I'm having Fantastic. a bit further developing the podcast as well. But I will keep because I know people like the quick 15 minute nugget episodes. I'm like, here's the problem. Here's why it's a problem. And here's the playful solution. Bang, bang, bang. I mean, but um, the listenership is off the charts it's as well good. It's it's got, it's, yeah, and again though you know I was saying this to you Linda that when you start something like a podcast and really I was looking at the multiple ways that writing a book is one thing and putting it on a shelf that's one thing and you think god job done no mm -hmm. job only beginning yeah because you have to make sure people know that book is there and know what's in that book so I have found the weekly radio show on news talk has been a great way to, for people to go I'd love to know more about that and being able to say there is more about that it's in the books yes. but I've also found the podcast as a really great way to amplify the model the 15 minute parenting model as a concept mm -hmm. for people to hold in mind and to make information available freely available as best I can and then if anyone's going that was helpful but I'd like to know more there is more yes so that's but once you start a podcast you're committed to it yes because if you're asking people to commit to you and follow you and you know yourself it's always helpful if people give you a follow and a five star and a subscribe or a share because there's so many podcasts out there that to make a dent for visibility um that's really helpful if people ever think about how could I help you in your business that is a very practical way huge can help yeah you 
business. So that's something I'm looking at that the audience has grown. Um, again, the podcast started in the pandemic and Linda, it started with me with my head in a cardboard box, yeah. blanket over my head for the soundproofing um, on my laptop. But now I am going to a little podcast studio because it is the time I underestimated the time yes. commitment with a mm -hmm. podcast yeah. with everything else going on so that has been a way you talk about outsourcing and delegating that's been a really productive way of saying how much of this can I outsource that's a practical way of doing it so the podcast will change and develop there, there will be I'm saying that kind of like crossing my fingers there <laughs> will be though a, a fourth book and I'm really excited about it because it ties in a lot with my doctorate theme and again it's going to be along the theme of play but really exploring what play means in our yeah. lives all of our lives be yeah. you a parent or not what and, and that's mean to you? I, I was just going to say that as well about the podcast you don't necessarily need to be a parent to listen no. to the podcast because there's a lot there for um non-parents and adults and everything yeah Absolutely. And I think that's it because I we're all adults in the lives of children, by the mm -hmm. way, even if you're not parenting, yeah. if yeah. you're an aunt or an uncle, if you're a cousin, if you're the friend of somebody who has a child, if you help out in a you know swimming or sports facility, if you're a teacher, you know, no matter who you are, you are an adult in the lives of children. Mm -hmm. So there is always something meaningful, playful, creative that we can nurture in ourselves that will contribute to that. And tell me something not a lot of people will know about you. Oh, my goodness, Linda, I feel like people know so much about me because I never stop talking. <laughs> um, what do people know about me? I don't know. Um... <laughs> Is there any skeletons in the closet? <laughs> like immediately, I, do you know what comes to mind when you ask someone a question like that is everything you shouldn't say? <laughs> it's like, um, you know, no, I'm actually quite dull, quite boring. Um, I think a lot of something that people might not know about me is that I have loved to travel in my um, early lives and in kind of weird places and the, you know, not Kelsapri's, not the, the road most traveled. But um, in, in doing that, that has been something for me about an escapism and a discovery that I do love to get out there and travel. And I love to take up weird hobbies mm -hmm. um, and especially things that I'm not especially good at. I'm just going to tell you, like and another mutual friend of ours, Linda, and I took an art class and she's very good oh. and I am not like and this isn't me being self-depreciating because I don't suffer from that but I'm literally telling you I'm not good at it but I enjoy it and I've done other random things like a one day jewelry making I'm looking at doing um a one day potter's you know like a potter's wheel I don't even know oh, the words for it but I'm it, gonna do love it, it. Love it. I do a lot of these kinds of random one day things like a poetry writing day like a and I'll just take something I've never done before and go yeah I'll do that, I'll do that. so that's maybe something people don't know about me and I recommend that I encourage everybody to go online find some weird and wacky course that has no relevance in your life at all and do that and that's and that's the play again in fairness isn't it <laughs> it is a bit and actually now that you say that it is yeah so I am, yeah, I, and I, I'm just, as I'm saying it, I'm aware of how much of that I do. I, you know, calligraphy writing for you know, random thing I'll decide to immerse myself in for a day and I might not do it ever again. Um, but yeah, I do set those challenges for Love myself. It. 
Love it. Well, at Corporate Cam, we're all about taking a risk to create your own happiness. What advice would you give to somebody about to jump off the cliff of career change? Do it. In the words of Nike, just do it. Because if you think it too much, you will never get going. And that first step is the bravest thing you'll do. And everything else will be easier. Actually starting and deciding you're going to do it. That's the hardest bit. Mm -hmm. Everything thereafter is easy. And I'm not saying it's all easy because there are definitely challenges, but just do it and say yes. Say yes to opportunities. Say yes to invitations. Say yes when someone asks you, would you like to do this? Yes, I would. Even if and especially if it's out of your comfort zone. Okay. Well, on that note, we have our quick fire round um, just for you. It's our either or, our either or. So we'll go straight into it. Uh, Coffee or tea? Coffee. Online or face-to-face? Face-to-face. Writing or therapy? Therapy. Uh, Bubbles or beer? (laughs) Bubbles. Walking or hiking? Hiking. Copper and straw or catalyst? Controversial copper and straw. (laughs) Radio or TV? Radio. Love radio. Boys or girls? Girls. (laughs) Fina Fall or Fina Gale? Uh, D, none of the above. <laughs> That's like a daddy or chips, isn't it? Like, do I have to pick one of those? Moncrief or Mac Cooper? Moncrief. Oh, there you go. That's it. <laughs> and from there, is there anything else that you would like to share? No, I just thank you so much for the opportunity. I actually, this is exactly what I'm talking about is these opportunities to talk and to, you know, share and amplify each other. I just think what you're doing is great. And I've really enjoyed it and appreciate the opportunity. More of this, please. Thank you. Thank you. Where can people find you? You can find me on, I am on social media. I wouldn't say I'm the best at posting regularly, but um, on Instagram at Joanna Fortune, on Twitter at the Joanna Fortune. There's no E because I ran out of letters there. Um, You will find me there. You will find (laughs) me on, um, if you go to my Instagram, there's a link tree and you'll have all my links for the website, the podcast. Everything is up there in one place. Fantastic. Well, Joanna, thank you so much. Thanks, Linda. Take care. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to the Corporate to Calm podcast. Please subscribe, leave a nice review, or simply come back and listen to us next time. I'm Linda Monaghan, motivating you to make that leap from corporate to calm.